One of my high school friends uh, went to college uh, about three hours away from our, my hometown, and he, he wasn't there very long, and he dropped out. And he dropped out to become a salesman. And um, now, to me, this made perfect sense, because I thought, man, this guy, he, he could sell Chris Stapleton voice lessons. Like, he could sell anything. He was just gifted at it. He could convince you you needed it. And he kind of got, in, got into to sales, and man, he didn't tell his parents that he did this. They still thought he was at college. Meanwhile, he was like selling stuff, making money. And um, he learned all these tips and tricks, like industry tips and tricks for, for salesmen. And he came back and he shared them with me. And he shared, shared with me some of the language that he was taught to intentionally use. And, and here, here's a line that you've probably heard. But wait, there's more. Right? You've heard that, right? If you've watched TV uh, back in, man, the, the 90s and 2000s, like you would just see those little infomercials about stuff selling. And you would always hear that line, but wait, there's more. And so this, this is like a, a, a normal thing. And, and tell me, if you've ever been sold by something by a salesman, and you got home and like you started seeing what like maintenance cost and insurance cost and taxes cost, and you're like, oh, but wait, there was a lot more than he told me. And you, a, a good salesman can do that to you. They can make you think that you really need something, and you buy it. And after you buy it, you realize, whoa, this cost me way more than I thought it was going to cost me. Let me tell you, I think uh, preachers and evangelists have often been guilty of doing the exact same thing. Where they have, there's something that we, we would talk about within ministry called easy believism. And, and it's, a, it's, a, it's a soft kind of uh, cheap gospel. It, it's, it's a message that says... Raise your hand, close your eyes, say this prayer, and get this get-out-of-free card. If you'll just do this one thing, uh, man, in following Jesus, you'll be saved, and it won't, it won't cost you anything. It's totally free. Man, today, we're going to open up God's Word, and, and we're going to see that, man, uh, there is no such thing as easy believism. Following Jesus is going to cost you. Um, here, here's what I would tell you. In earthly currency, in currency, in the, in the way that we think, think of things on this earth, your discipleship is the most costly investment you will ever make. But I also want you to understand that the return on investment is one that is made in the kingdom of God. You will find greater reward through the cost of discipleship than anything you do here on earth. Now, our big truth today as we open up God's word is this. This is what I want you to see from the text. Salvation is free, but following Jesus will cost you everything. Salvation is free, but following Jesus will cost you everything. And when I say salvation is free, this is what I mean. It is the free gift of God. There is nothing that you can do to buy your salvation. When Jesus says to the rich young ruler, when the rich young ruler walks up to him and he says, what must I do to be saved? And he says, take everything you have and go sell it to the poor and then come follow me. 
And what does he do? But he goes back to his stuff. He's not saying, hey, go sell all of this stuff and, and, and bring me the money. He's saying, turn from this stuff, sell this stuff, and follow me. You can't buy your salvation. You can't earn your salvation. You can't be good enough to earn it. You can't pay the sin debt. Only Jesus did that on the cross. The good news is the, of the gospel is this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. The debt we once owed, Jesus paid. He relieved us of that debt. It is free. But just like he said to the rich young, young ruler when he said, Come follow me, it, cost, it would cost him everything as he knew it. And so that's the call today. Now... I want to put some context around these verses. And you've got to back up a little bit in chapter 9. But the beginning of chapter 9, Jesus commissions his 12 disciples to go out and do ministry. He sends out the 12. Right after this passage, he's about to send out the 72 as missionaries. So you've got to think, sandwiched between this and this passage is the sending out of those who would proclaim the gospel. Next week, I'm going to get to preach one of my favorite verses and one of the things that I pray the most, Luke 10.2, where Jesus, when he's getting ready to send out the twelve, he says, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. So pray to the Lord of the harvest that he would raise up laborers for the field. And so that's next week. So that's the, that's the context. This is a context of come and follow Jesus so that you can be a sent people. So today, we're going to start taking apart this text in verse 51. When the days drew near for him to be taken up, he set his face to go to Jerusalem. And he sent messengers ahead of him who went and entered a village of the Samaritans to make preparations for him. But the people did not receive him. Because his face was set toward Jerusalem. And when his disciples, James and John, saw it, they said, Lord, do you want us to tell fire to come down from heaven and consume them? But he turned and rebuked them. And then he went on to another village. As they were going along the road, someone said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, Foxes have holes. And birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. To another he said, follow me. But he said, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. And Jesus said to him, leave the dead to bury their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Yet another said, I will follow you, Lord, but let me first say farewell to those at my home. And Jesus said to him, No one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. Now, when you hear these three uh, follow-me stories, man, and you hear Jesus' response, it can somewhat be like, man, these are hard sayings. These are somewhat crushing sayings. Are you really telling me to not go and bury my father and, and, and just follow you? Are you really telling me not to go say goodbye? Man, we're going to see in this text what it means to follow Jesus. Now, we're going to start in verse 51 where Jesus is rejected in uh, Samaria. So, when the days drew near for him to be taken up, 
It says he set his face to go to Jerusalem. So this is a turning point. I mentioned this last week in Jesus' ministry where he is making his way. Remember, he's, he's kind of been on the outskirts of Jerusalem. Uh, obviously, in his life, he's been to Jerusalem, but his ministry has been on the outskirts, and he's turning his attention towards Jerusalem. His ministry has very much been a public ministry, uh, preaching, healing, these things. His ministry is turning to, we're going to see from, from these next chapters, he's putting his attention on training his disciples, and he's making his way to Jerusalem. Now, we're not even halfway done with the book of, of Luke, and we're making this turn. So you'll see how much emphasis is put on uh, investing into his discipleships and his journey to uh, Jerusalem. So he set his face to go to Jerusalem. This is, this is Jesus answering uh, the call, doing what God sent him to do, which was to end up being on, uh, dying on the cross for our sins. And so he sends messengers uh, Presumably some, some of his disciples who went and they entered a village of the Samaritans to make preparations for him. This would have been, this would have been normal. We see this in Jesus' ministry that he sends folks ahead and has them prepare things for him. And so as they go, the people of the town heard he was coming, knew what was happening. It says that people did not receive him because his face was set towards Jerusalem. Now... Here's my next big idea, my first big idea, rather, is following Jesus will lead to rejection. Listen, there, there, is, there is something going on here in the, in the cosmic realm in what God is doing. God is turning Jesus from this ministry, and he's heading him to Jerusalem. And so, just like in other times when we see in the book of Luke, where people did not see, they did not perceive, they did not understand because it was not their time, uh, there, there's something going on in God's sovereign plan here that he would not have them stop. But there's also, on, on, just the, on the human level, there's something going on here. And that is, uh, Samaritans, people of Samaria, had a huge beef with Jewish people and vice versa. They did not like each other. They did not have uh, good relationships. Matter of fact, um, Jewish, Jewish folks, the Israelites would have called the Samaritans half-breeds. They would have, because they shared some lineage, but, but uh, along in the way with their shared, shared uh, lineage and same re, uh, religion, man, it split and, and different things happened and there was just a real hatred. That's why when you hear like the parable of the good Samaritan, the idea that a Samaritan would, could be good to a Jewish person. There was, there was hate in their heart towards them. And so that, that was reciprocated. I mean, it, it, it went both ways. There was, there was definitely uh, prejudice there. There was, there was um, ethnic pride there. There was pride in their country, and they did not like each other. So th that's at play. And so... We look here, and when I, would, when I would say following Jesus leads to rejection, it's probably not actually the primary thing that's going on. There may have been some understanding of who Jesus was and what he was doing. Word had gone around. I'm sure they did. I think there's a reality. They just didn't want Jewish people in their town. Now, we see the rest of Scripture. We see the rest of Scripture play out. You see this big idea happen over and over and over. That the follow, following Jesus will lead to, lead to rejection. So it may have not been just that he was Jesus, that these were Christ followers. 
But the reality is, is that following Jesus will lead to this. Just like that Jesus was rejected. It's, 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 going, it's going to happen. You're going to see that just as we follow Jesus, Jesus was rejected, so will his disciples. And so when we say it's going to cost you everything, it's going to cost you rejection. There's going to, there's going to be times where you, because of your following Jesus, are not going to get the, the treatment that you would if you didn't follow Jesus. There, there's going to be times where it's going to be time for promotion, and it's going to cost you that. There's going to be things, and, and I'm, I'm speaking kind of real time in America right now. Um, there are things that, that, that you pursue as a Christian that you will not be able to obtain because of your faith. One of my uh, kind of favorite sportscasters lost his job this week. And, and a lot of people are going, why? Why him? Why not? And they lift off all these other people. And, I'm, and I see it and I'm like, well, I don't know why. Maybe his contract's big. But I also know that he's very outspoken with his faith. And could it be that ESPN doesn't like how outspoken it is of his faith? In 2023, I think it's a possibility. I mean, I look out in the crowd today, I see people who have, have real concerns with their jobs from time to time because their faith and how bold they are in their faith or the fact that they're, they're Christian, they realize, like, this could cost me, this could impede promotion, this could cost me my job. These are realities. These are realities of, of following uh, Jesus. Continue in verse 54. So, like, listen to the response here. And when his disciples, James and John, saw it, they said, Lord, do you want us to tell fire to come down from heaven and consume them? But he returned, and he, and he rebuked them, and they went on to another village. Here's the next big idea. Following Jesus means you will love those that hate you. Peter, James, and John had just been uh, at the transfiguration. The other disciples didn't get to see it, but Peter, James, and John got to see it. And at the transfiguration, uh, man, the, the Lord brought down Moses and Elijah from heaven, and there they are. And so Peter, James, and John had just seen Elijah. There's a story in 2 Kings chapter 1 um, where Elijah, kind of kind of the Lord answers that this prophetic call to him, and he goes, and all of a sudden this king has a beef with Elijah, and this king is sending people to bring Elijah down off the mountain that the king may live, uh, and, and it's not Elijah that's killing the king, it's the, because the, this king of the Israelites has, has sought other gods that God is going to take him out, and, and Elijah kind of prophesies this to him, and so this king sends 50 men uh, up, up the hill to get Elijah to bring him down, and they're about to take him, and it's 1 verses 50. And you know what Elijah does? But he calls down fire from heaven and burns them up. A second time, the king goes, well, I'm going to send 50 more. And so he sends 50 more troops back up, and Elijah sends down fire from heaven, and he burns him up. And at the third time, when one of the messengers comes and begs for mercy, does God show them him mercy, but does he show the king justice? And so, you know... Peter kind of gets the, the rap for being a hothead. Remember, he pulls, off the, pulls out his sword and cuts the, 
uh, soldier's ear off, and that just for me just summarizes Peter. Well, here are James and John, the sons of thunder, who obvious also were pretty zealous. They're like, okay, these people rejected you? Let's do what Elijah did. Let's send down fire from heaven and burn them up. Let's do it. Like they, they, they cannot reject us. But no, you can't, you can't do that. Jesus had just taught them. Just, just flip back to Luke chapter 6 and you'll see when the Sermon on the Plain. But I say to you who hear, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who abuse you. This is the way of Jesus. This is what discipleship will cost you. It will cost you your ability to get revenge. It, it will cost you your ability to execute justice yourself. It means that you will in fact have to turn the other cheek. Here, Peter, James, and John, like we see throughout Scripture, where they, they, they missed it. They missed it. Man, this, this Jesus ethic... The Jesus way of life, it is just different. It is not of this earth. It, it is a kingdom ethic that looks different. And so what does that mean for you today? When you're rejected, when you're called a bigot, when, when you don't get a promotion, or when somebody hates you because of your faith, when somebody pushes against you for what you believe... What should your response be? I was running, Jennifer and I were running one day last week, and my dog got a little too far over on the trail, apparently, and this guy comes by on a bike at 6.15 a.m. and just cusses us up and down. The flesh in me, real quick, wanted to just yell back, you know? I, but the, the Holy Spirit... You know, the Holy Spirit, God gives it to believers, and, and it just quieted that in me and went, man, what is that guy going through? What, what, how could I minister to that guy? That guy must have been, something's wrong in that guy's life. Something's, something's bad. What, 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 I'm going to pray for him right now. And, and um, that's kind of, the, that was over my dog being in the path. What does that really mean, like, when it's about my faith? What's my, what's my response going to, to be? It can't be, you hate me, therefore I'm going to hate you. I'm going to call down fire. I'm going to pray the wrath of God down on them. I'm going to, God, just take them out. No. The kingdom ethic is to love them. And so in a world that rejects Christians, we must be known by our love. He says it. You'll be, you'll, you will know Christians by their fruit. You'll know Christians by their, their love. So love your enemies. Love those who reject you. Don't let their rejection of you affect how you treat and love them. We'll continue verse 57. As they were going along the road, someone said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, Foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Here's my next big idea. Following Jesus means you will always be a sojourner in a strange land. 
There's something going on right now um, within this highly political, conservative Christian wing in America. And, and it is apparent that the, the fight, the battle that is going on within this group, it is a political battle. It's not a Christian battle. But, but one thing that they're saying right now, there, there's this idea that conservative Christians should flee blue states and move to red states. And, and you may be hearing this, but like, this is, this is a real thing. It's happening. People, people are doing this. I even heard of someone I know locally who's moving to a red state for, for this very reason. They're, they're, they're like, there's this kind of exodus. Like, we must leave it. Uh, we must go to red states because uh, we've just kind of got to circle the wagons. And if we're going to raise our families in, in some sort of godly society, we must do it there. These blue states have so rejected God and, and the gospel um, that we must go do it there. So listen. We live in a very blue state. The progressive, liberal, political agenda is the prevalent agenda. If you're like me, and like I can't tell you since I moved here, I don't think anybody I have voted for has got elected to office. I can't even get, I can't even get somebody elected to the school board, right? Like it does, something that should not be political, it does not matter. Like I can't, like my vote means nothing. It, it is like... It's just me doing my civic duty and putting in the mailbox. But that thing could sit on my counter because it's going to change nothing, right? Wolves, plastic bags, I mean, none of it. Like, I can't, you know, we can't, we can't keep elk in Rocky Mountain National Park. In a blue state like this one where there's all sorts of things that are celebrated that, that we, we just think are wrong. We think are, aren't helpful. We think are bad for, for humanity, bad for human flourishing. We, we, we live in a place where we ought to feel as this earth is not our home, that this, we, we are strangers in a foreign land. But I want to tell you something. It is fool's play to think that you're going to move somewhere else as a Christian and everybody there is just going to be for you. It's fool's play to think that you can make some sort of uh, kingdom here on earth. It is not going to work. One, do you know who else is moving to those states? People who are going broke in other states. And they're going to go and vote there too. Right? It, there's broken people. There's a conservative political agenda that is just lost as the other one. It's just, as, it's just as selfish for greedy gain. And so, it's going to change there too. There's no circling the wagons. Man, there was, there was different times uh, in, in history where this has been tried. There were these monks. You can read, there's a book called The Benedict Option. You can read about this. There's these monks in history that thought, man, society is just so bad that what we're going to do is we're going to pull back and we're going to build these monasteries. And we're going to go live in these monasteries. And when the, when the earth crumbles and there's nothing left, we'll come down and we'll bring a holy, righteous Christianity. Guess what? I'll, I'll, I'll spare you reading the book. It doesn't work. Right? It, rather, the call is to a missionary people. 
Missionaries realize they are sojourners in a strange land. They realize they are going to be rejected no matter where they go. Jesus was in his hometown in Nazareth, and what happened? He was rejected. Here he is in Samaria, and what happens? But he gets rejected. And when he goes to Jerusalem, what is going to happen? He is going to get rejected. Listen to me. Foxes have holes, and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. That means for the Christian. That, that this, this is not going to be your, where your citizenship is for eternity. This is not going to be the place where you're going to be able to lay your head comfortably. comfortably. This is going to be your, your home. You will get to a point where you are rejected here. You should not feel at home. You are citizens of a different kingdom. Verse 59, to another he said, follow me. But he said, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. And Jesus said to him, leave the dead to bury their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Here's my next big idea, is that following Jesus means you prioritize God's family over your earthly family. I will never forget the conversation I had to have with my brother, my best friend at the time, when I had answered the call that I felt in my life to ministry. And that meant leaving my hometown. That meant moving to pursue theological education. And I did not know where that would take me. I quickly figured out that would never take me back home to what I called home. And I'll never forget that That. That feeling. My, my, my father had died at 49. Um, that meant that, you know, I still had a, a mom, a sister, and a brother there. And, and, and telling my brother that conversation that, listen, I am going to leave our family, forsake our family to go and follow Jesus, that was a costly conversation. Just a few weeks ago, my niece came out. My niece is 28 years old. She spent several days with our family. We just had a blast together. She was nine years old when I left home. And I could look at her a few weeks ago, and I could look, and, and I could look at her life and all the things that I missed in her life. All the birthdays that I wasn't there to celebrate with her. All the accomplishments that I wasn't there for. All the boyfriend drama that I got excluded from. I'll, I mean, that's, there's a pro, right? All those different things. You know, I look at it, and I go, man... When you leave, you, you're prioritizing God's family over your earthly family. There's, there's things you miss. There's things that you, you miss. I, I'll often check in you know, with my mom. I call my mom on Monday mornings. That's kind of like, well, I, that's when I talk to her. I call her on Monday mornings, and she'll talk about, oh, everybody came over for ex, somebody's birthday, and we had this for dinner. Oh, like my favorite meal. Great. I'm glad, glad, rub that in on me real quick. And then she'll tell me about the dessert she made. And all, all, my, all my sweet teeth are like, oh man, that would have been good, you know. And, and you, you, you miss it. it. It doesn't mean 
that you're never around it as a Christian doesn't mean that you get to have a family. It means that you prioritize God's family. And this, when, when, when Jesus says this, there's some cultural things that we have to know. No scholar really believes that, that his father was dead. His father was alive. His father was dying. His father was old, older in age. His father would soon die. And so it's this idea of, listen, my father's in his 70s, and listen, after he dies, then I will follow you. Just let me go, finish his affairs, bury him, and then I will follow you. It's not talking about the immediate. And his response seems somewhat harsh. Let the dead to bury their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Now, Listen, not everybody's going to, going to have a missionary's call on their life. Not everybody's going to pack up and change zip codes. Not everybody's going to put their stuff into storage containers and ship it across the world. And if we were to go back to the missionaries of the day who packed their belongings in caskets and mailed them to where they were going, like not everybody's going to have that call. But every Christian who follows Jesus is answering the call to go and proclaim the kingdom of God. And you must be willing to do it. Now, let me tell you, part of the people that you're going to proclaim the kingdom of God to is your family. When you become a Christian, you are becoming a missionary to your family. And when he says, let the dead bury their dead, the hope is, is, is for, for me is that they are no longer dead but alive in Christ Jesus. So some of you may say, well, man, I just need to stay home and evangelize my family until they're there. No. You answer God's call on your life and you go where he would lead you. And you trust that somebody else would lead your family to the Lord. Like we're trusting God's sovereign hand for salvation. You don't, you don't hold the, the deck of cards of God's salvation in your hand. You're not the one who gets to deal them. He does. Your faithfulness. And so as I left my brother, my brother wasn't a believer. I often prayed for a man named Tony Carter. He, he worked across the cubicle for my brother. Tony Carter was an was a outspoken Christian. I prayed that Tony would lead my brother to Christ. Now, it ends up, that is not how it happened, but I, I prayed for him. I knew that me being willing to go and to do what God had called me to do was the better testimony for my brother's salvation. That was the better testimony for my brother to go, no, he's real. Zach's... Zach's uh, Believes what he says he believes. Following Jesus means you prioritize God's family over your earthly family. So often in conversations, and I say so often, like I, I, can, I can count five times it's happened this year. I've had conversations with other uh, pastors my age maybe a little younger. Guys that I think, man, I see in them what it would take to plant a church in the West. And so I'll approach them. I'll start having a conversation with them about planting. A lot of those guys, they're, they're curious. They want to talk with me about planting. And at the end of the conversation, they'll kind of hang their head. And they'll say, but I, I could never pull my wife away from her family. I'm dead serious. I have guys, I'll, I'll, be, I'll be trying to recruit guys to come plant uh, 
in an area that needs churches, that needs a gospel presence. I can, I can name the city. I can name the place. I can, I can describe the people. And here they are, serving in a church on, on some staff role. Half the time, it's like here their title, it's like a made-up staff role. It's like, hey, this guy's an A guy. I just want to keep him here. I want to make something for him to do. And, and, and they, they go, man... I need to be within a three-hour radius of this city. That's where my, family, my wife's family's from. It takes everything in me not to slap the dude. One, your wife, if she's a believer, has the Holy Spirit too. And you're saying you're a pastor. You're saying foxes have holes. Birds have nests. The Son of Man has no way... Where to lay his head. You're saying, let the dead bury the dead. You're standing up and preaching this passage, but you don't think your wife can handle you moving somewhere else? Two things. You don't have enough faith in God, and you don't have enough faith in your wife. You don't, you're not trusting that the Lord is leading her. Do you think when I told Jennifer, hey, I think I'm called, we're called to Colorado, she was like, yippee-yay-hi, we're going to move away from the people we love? I also just like slid it right in there on her too. I mean, it was like real nonchalant. It was like not the greatest way to do it. She was not happy. But do you know what? Well, I couldn't rip her out of here if I had to. I mean, she would say, no, we're called here. This is our, this is our place. This is our people. The Lord did a work. And the Lord, if he called me, I mean, he's calling my family. If the Lord's calling me to something, he's calling them to it too. And they got on board and so I want to I say, like, you've got to be willing to go. You've got to be willing to leave. Now, I joke and say I, I couldn't rip her out of here, but I guarantee you if we went home and said, honey, we're called to the Middle East. We've got to start praying through it. We're going to go be missionaries somewhere. She'd start praying through it because our hands are like this. I'm not giving God GPS coordinates with my life and say, God, you put me over here and then I'll serve you. Rather, I'm going, God, you put me wherever you want on the planet. And by the grace of God, he called us here. Yet another said, I will follow you, Lord. But let me first say well to those at my home. And Jesus said to him, no one who's put his hands to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. Here's my next big idea. Following Jesus means that the earth is not your home. This earth is not your home. This earth is not your home. You need to say that to yourself over and over and over again. Yesterday, I mentioned earlier that we, we went to Buena Vista as a family, and we rode motorcycles, and the boys and I were on some new ground we had never ridden before yesterday. And I've got them out in front of me, and they're just weaving and bobbing up and down, and I'm riding, and my motorcycle is just like so fun to ride. And I can look, and I can see Princeton, and Yale, and Columbia, and Harvard, and then in just their gorgeous status, there they are in this big valley below us, and in my mind, I'm thinking about this sermon. As glorious as this is, as much fun as I'm having in this moment, the earth is not my home. 
The earth is not my home. I have to think, I, I am made not for this city, but for a heavenly city. It was a glorious moment yesterday doing that. But I want you to tell you that those moments are rare. That's not the norm in life. The norm in life is to be in the moments where you're saying, the earth is not my home, and you mean something totally different by it. The earth is hard. There is pain here. There is suffering here. There's rejection here. And so you say, the earth is not my home. That there is a, a heavenly city there. I'll, I'll tell you, as you say, you're going to follow Jesus. And you embrace a missionary lifestyle. Whether that means you're a missionary right here in your Jerusalem, is it Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. No matter where you are, as you embrace that, it means you are embracing this, this lifestyle that's going to cost you, that's going to be hard. And if the Lord calls you to leave, if, if there's some sort of Macedonian call and you feel the need to go somewhere else and share the gospel, I want you to understand something. It means you leave your home. And when you get there, there's a good chance you're rejected. One of Jennifer's co-workers, his name's Matt Haddon, He's a missionary on the Pinewood Reservation up in South Dakota. And he's there, their family, have, they've, they've been there, they're doing this really, really hard work. And they're there, and they're working, and, and they're, they're meeting all sorts of needs, they're seeing lives change, but guess what? They're not wanted. And man, what we know about Native American history, we know about Native Americans, like, why would they want, want them, Right? And so we kind of look at that, we can observe that. But yet, there's an incredible need. There's an incredible need for the gospel. And there's an incredible need uh, for, for ministries of mercy. Matt said this. I'm sure he's quoting somebody, but I heard him say it. He lives this out. He says, you go somewhere you are needed, but not wanted until you are wanted, but not needed. And my friends, that is the call of the missionary. It is to abandon this earth as home. And not to put the hands on the plow. This is quoting somewhere in Scripture. To, to look back and to go, where am I going? Where am I going? But rather to plow forward for the kingdom of God. In Hebrews 13, it says this, So Jesus also suffered outside the gate in order to sanctify the people through his own blood. Therefore, let us go to him outside the camp and bear the reproach he endured. For here we have no lasting city, but we seek the city that is to come. My last big idea is this. Following Jesus is, is worth everything it will cost you. It's going to cost you. I'm not trying to, to sell you an easy believism. I'm trying to tell you what it will cost. It will cost you.
when we say this earth is not our home, it's because the kingdom of God is our home. It's because there is an earthly gain here. Listen, listen to just uh, two weeks ago our text. And he said to all, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. For what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself? I'm going to close with this. Jesus said in Mark chapter 10, Truly I say to you, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or mothers or fathers or children or lands for my sake and for the gospel who will not receive a hundredfold now in this time. Houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecutions in the age to come, eternal life. But what does that mean for us? Jesus says, but many who are first will be last and the last will be first. So Father, we come to you thanking you for your word. Thanking you for the call to follow you. Lord, knowing it's not easy, but it's worth it. Knowing that it will cause rejection, but knowing it's worth it. Knowing it means we adopt a, a kingdom ethic and we don't live like we're of this earth. And we love those who hate us. That we endure persecution without retaliation. And Lord, we know it will be worth it. Knowing that this earth won't be our home. That we'll have no place to lay our head. Knowing that we will be spiritually homeless. Lord, it's worth it. Lord, knowing That it means we'll have to prioritize our kingdom family, our heavenly family, your family, over our earthly family. Lord, it's worth it. Or whatever it costs, Lord, let us follow you. Lord, would you meet us here? Lord, if there's somebody today making the decision, do I follow Jesus? Is it worth it? Lord, show them, illuminate your scripture to them that they would see the cost. And then show them your love, your affection, your mercy, your grace, your unmerited favor on us that while we deserve wrath and punishment, that for those who believe in you, believe in the Lord Jesus, believe in the death, burial, and resurrection, Believe in the ascension that it's worth it. And Lord, just as you ascended into heaven after your resurrection, though we will ascend to heaven. Lord, let it be known on our hearts that we are not citizens of this earth, but we are citizens in heaven. 
Lord, let us be disciples who are radical followers of you, who count the cost and follow you. Let us be a missionary people, a disciple-making people. For your glory and your honor, but for our good. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's stand and sing a song of response.